Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and also 104.9 FM. Um, I welcome everybody back to the show. My name is Sue Rocco, and we're in for a, a real treat today. I'm excited about the show this afternoon. I actually uh, have two guests that we're, we're going to be speaking to. And um, before we get started, I just want to mention um, for everyone to be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter for all things related to the show. Um, we're on Instagram at Women to Watch, as well as Facebook and Twitter. And of course, you can find everything else related to the show on our website at womentowatch.net, which is women the number two watch.net, N E T. And if you're listening to the show and you'd like to call in with a question for either of my guests today, we'd love to hear from you. And you can do so by dialing 888 329 3306. That's 888 329 3306. Uh, so joining me at the top of the show today is Josh Levs, and uh, Josh is the uh, here's here's the short title for Josh. He's the top global expert on modern dads at work. Uh, Josh is also an award-winning former NPR and CNN journalist who is now a UN Global Gender Champion and the author of All In: How Our Work. First Culture Fails Dads, Families, and Businesses, and How We Can Fix It Together. Josh, welcome to the show. 
hey, I'm happy to be here. And I know, I know, the full title is a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. It's good to have, you know, one of those taglines that really talks about what you do, which I think, you know, top global expert for the for modern dads at work is a great one-liner. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you. You and I connected a, a, about a month ago after I was doing some research and came across your work. And I thought, what an interesting topic to kind of tie into what we talk about here um, on the show around women's issues. And uh, just to give the listeners a sense, you really stepped into the spotlight um, when you took some legal action against Time Warner. Um, At the time, you were a new dad yourself, and you were looking for fair parental leave um, so that you could be home with your daughter, who was a preemie, and help take care of your wife as well. Um, tell me how that. Tell me how that came about and how the company responded. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's wild what happened because I was a reporter at CNN, and um, I had started covering fatherhood in addition to covering normal news. And so, you know, at first I was the guy covering dads, and then all of a sudden there was this big switch when everyone was covering me. Right. Um. Yes. Yeah, so, and that's because there was this very policy at the time, and unfortunately, while it's strange, it's also typical. Um, the way things were working at CNN, anyone could get 10 paid weeks to care for their new child, except a biological father in traditional sense. Yeah. So if I had put up my, my own daughter for adoption, someone else could adopt her and get 10 paid weeks. Or if I had a same-sex domestic partner, like almost literally any other parent could, except a dad in a traditional scenario. And so I'd gone to the company totally in secret, and I said, look, this has got to be an oversight. When you were adding these groups of people who could get 10 paid weeks, there's no way you meant to leave out the possibility that a traditional dad might. But, um, you know, the long story short, they, they wouldn't give me an answer for months, and then my daughter was born prematurely in an emergency. They still wouldn't give me an answer. And then 11 days later, I'm home holding my four-pound preemie and, and caring for my sick wife, and that's when work said no, that I could not get the policy. So I took legal action. I filed a charge with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Okay. And, and actually, yeah. as it turned around, you know, or as it ended up, rather, they, they did turn around and um, change their policy. They revolutionized it. You yeah. know, in this news script, there was all this publicity about my case, and eventually they made the choice to revolutionize their policy. They made it better for, for moms and dads. You know, as a result of it, birth moms got more time, too. And so that set me off on this journey. After I announced my case, so much support came in from women's groups and men's groups and and mom blogs and dad blogs and conservatives and liberals across every spectrum. And, and I became fascinated to try to figure out what was it about my family's case that made, my, that made it so interesting to so many people. And that's when I came to understand what's really going on. That all of the things that make it tougher for women to succeed in the workplace are also making it tougher for men to have equal opportunity to be caregivers at home. It's this whole madman structure that we have in which everything was designed to push women to stay home and do all the caregiving, push men to stay work. So we have to take care of both of these at once. This is the half of the gender equality battle that really no one's been addressing. Yeah, it's it's so interesting to me that I'm sure that now that you're doing the work and you're having these conversations that you come across many men who were – you know, aware of it, feeling the same, but it always takes one person to actually speak up and out about it. Um, and, you know, Josh, here's a question for you. Would you say that, um, you know, I hate to paint a broad brush, but I, you know, from doing this show for so many years, I do find that in 
general, in particular, women are more apt to kind of speak out about these types of issues than men? No, you know, as men, we are trained pretty much from birth not to talk about this. And, right. and so many of the guys I interviewed for my book um, said the first time they ever opened up about it because they are convinced that if they dare to speak, that someone will say to them, oh, you man in a patriarchal society, who are you to talk about work-life conflict? Right. But <laughs> what's really happening is that men are, men are struggling in the shadows. And, and until we make sure, you know, like Cheryl Sanders in my book, we talked about this. She says the same thing I do, that women cannot lean in unless all of us, men and women, can be all in. And dads are struggling. Dads want more time at home. We, we value our time at home over money. All the real data shows it. But we don't talk about it in a public way, and, and that has to change if we're going to conquer the sexism of the workplace. Right. Yeah. It makes so much sense to me. Um, one of the other uh, topics that you you know bring up regularly is um, around advertising, and I you know this is. Um, you know, make it's important because my my guest who's going to be following your segment is um, an executive in advertising, and so I, I thought it was kind of ironic. But you know, we do see advertising, and there's always stereotypes um, for both men and women. And I said to you, I really wanted to to ask you about how we can really go, you know, kind of change the way things are done so that the messaging is appropriate, but without losing, you know, our sense of humor, which I think is absolutely. is important. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I actually spoke at the uh, 3% conference for women in the advertising industry uh, this past November. Uh, and it's a brand that I work with now, Dub Men Plus Care, that's leading the way in doing great advertising that shows realistic images of that. Its pop culture images, as included, are are crucial because so many people, most people, believe this false stereotype that dads are lazy, that dads don't do as much at home, that dads are less capable at home. And all these men think that they're the exception. And all these women think that their husbands are the exception. So because of this false belief, here's what's happening. People, bosses and executives genuinely believe that if you give a man paternity leave, or a flexible schedule. He's just going to go home, pick up his feet, watch sports, <laughs> wait for his wife to come home, and do all the real work anyway. Right, and so, the house will be a complete disaster. Okay, the house will be a total disaster. He'll be incapable of doing anything. They, yeah. they genuinely believe this lie, and so they don't give paternity leave. So guess what happens? Women get pushed to stay home by bosses who believe that women do all the real work at home anyway. So it actually is a very corrosive, very sexist stereotype. Uh, Saying men are incapable at home or do less at home is the flip side of the exact same coin as saying that women are less capable or do less at work. It's this basic madman mentality that the workplace is for men and the home is for women, and in each place, one gender is somehow less capable. It, it defies all the facts. I'm, I am by nature and by profession a fact checker, so I've started showing the real data about how much dads do at home. So we can all laugh at funny characters. <laughs> without actually believing that stereotypes are real. And that's why the stereotype of the bumbling, incapable, clueless, uncaring dad who's pretty much like a child in the home, that's why that <laughs> has to go away. Because that's hurting women and men. Right. Well, I will say, you know, I often hear... Um, oh, go ahead. Um, well, Libby, uh, did you want to chime Libby, in? It's Libby here, yes. Yeah, hi, hi, <laughs> um, hi. You invited me to kind of 
Hi. You invited me to kind of ask a question. And so, I mean, maybe I, I hate to ask a fact checker, but, um, you know, our, our ad agency is in the Silicon Valley, and I just find that, I don't know, maybe it's California thinking, maybe it's younger people that I'm thinking of, but I think that that kind of mentality is really changing with the younger workforce. Um, I also, you know, maybe I'm a little bit biased. I started my ad agency with my husband, and part of that was so that it was for him, and it was so that he could be as much a part of our children's lives as I could so that he didn't have to apologize for leaving early to go and do something with our children. So I just wanted to ask you how you think the facts do on the younger audience. Right, and that's a big part. I, mean, I do a lot of work in my California. I'm in Silicon Valley, like at least every other month, and there are positive changes going on with the younger generation. Absolutely, um, and in general, younger generations have more of an expectation of work-life integration. You know, they didn't grow up this image of work as being nine to five. They grew up with an image of Mark Zuckerberg. It's it's a different relationship to work. But here's the problem. The structures themselves are more powerful than the generation. So, you know, my generation, I like to say I grew up on free to be you and me. I was surrounded by brilliant women in college. All of us, the men, women, boys, girls, we all thought that we were going to get into the workplace and there was going to be equality and that we'd all be able to have our lives at home and at work. But here I am, 20 years out of college, less than 5% of the CEOs are women, and only about 14% of companies have any paternity leave. The, the structures themselves, what's happening right now is people go into the workforce, then they have children, and they discover that there are all these structures, the laws, policies, and stigmas that are still pushing men to stay at work. And that's what I pour, uh, report on in the book, is that it's proven that if a man takes paternity leave, in many cases he gets demoted or even fired. And there are guys in my book who were fired for doing so. So while the generation is definitely helping push things forward the way that my generation is, Gen X, the fact is we still have to conquer these big structures to really make the change that we need in this country. And Libby, you must you must see that um, as well when you you know speak about the percentage of female leaders in advertising is only at three percent. So here you are living you know a really wonderful modern day um, kind of career with your husband. And your views are different, but as Josh is saying, those those structures and policies somehow are still preventing, you know, this forward motion. Yeah, I guess I'm just I'm kind of shocked and I'm kind of sad that we haven't made more progress because I thought that we had, and I actually view modern dads as really powerful people, and I think that. Um, it's so important. The statistics definitely say that for a child, that same-sex parent has the most influence on that child. So if you have a young boy, even though he might be spending all day with his mom in some cases, the actual person that's going to influence him the most is his father. And so that's a great reason for why we need men to be more active and part of family life, especially, you know, when you have that kind of relationship happening. That's an interesting, that's an interesting um, statistic I was not aware of about, you know, the, the, the influence comes more from the same-sex parent. Is that, Josh, what do you, what do you think about that? Oh, well, look, I mean, the research 
showing how all kids benefit from having both parents is is tremendous, you know. And so, so we're certainly not going to you know denigrate the role of mom either. But absolutely, when you have um, the father in your life, it's shown that it reduces all kinds of problems. It reduces the frequency of uh, teenage drug use and of problems in school and of, of emotional difficulties and learning disabilities. I mean, the more that you have from both parents, it's very, very clear. Um, the other thing to understand is that it's shown that when a father gets time off at the very beginning of the child's life, it changes the balance of responsibilities in the home for the child's entire life. Because from day one this way, men and women are given opportunities to become equally capable, equally competent in all the tasks that are involved in caregiving. And there's longitudinal studies that show that over that kid's entire youth, you know, 18 years, they end up more often having a greater balance of responsibilities at home. And that means that sons and daughters grow up seeing mom and dad as being capable both professionally and in the home, and that in and of itself spurs them forward as well. So there's no doubt at all that the uh, the research all points in the direction of dads being absolutely equally important to uh, to moms for boys and girls. Right, right. I would. And so when you think about the ripple effect of that, also, Susan, right? It's like, so if if young boys are seeing their moms as being powerful people, then we kind of fix the whole cycle of like a lot of the things that are happening, a lot of the reason that there's only 3% of women on the creative side in advertising, I think that it just changes everybody's viewpoint to a healthier space. Yes, absolutely. And I, you know what? I think we are seeing that um, across the board. I, I think, again, this, this generation, I have two children, they're in their 20s, and they certainly have a different view of, you know, the roles of men and women than I did growing up, and it's a good one. It is much better, but I guess it will just take some time. It's like anything else. When something has been in place for, you know, hundreds of years, uh, it can take a while to, to really reverse it, but so, you know, what, Libby, what you're doing in, in advertising and, Josh, what you're doing in speaking and, and um, talking uh, through the U.N. and to companies and, you know, really trying to change structure and policies, it's going to – it'll happen a lot sooner. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And that's the goal. You yep. know, for this generation to take care of it, because the last thing I want is, you know, for, for my kids and all kids uh, 20 years from now to be in the same – or 30, whatever, in the same situation – that, that we are in right now. It, it's really, it's up to us right now to, to, to really make the equality that we believe in come to life. Yeah, yeah. That's that's great. Josh, listen, um, before I let you go, where can people find you? We're going to, you know, we'll put out um, information on your book um, and, uh, yeah. and your website, but if someone's listening and wants to get in touch with you. Yes, go to my website, joshlev.com. It's J-O-S-H-L-E-V-S. Dot com, and you'll see kind of contact me. I'm also on Twitter and Facebook and everything else, and there's a form you can fill out. And uh, look, I, you know, I, I, I love what I'm doing now. I ended up leaving CNN, and I do this full time. So I get the chance to work with companies and brands and organizations and universities. And um, anyone who's ready to hear this message and really wants to take action, I just uh, I love what I'm doing these days, and uh, I love to, uh, to meet people, including through shows like this. So thanks for having me. Great. Thanks, Josh. Uh, we're, we're happy you're doing it, too. And I hope you'll stay in touch. Take care. Um, so now let me formally um, introduce Libby, who's, who's kind of chimed in on our conversation, which is great. Uh, my guest 
My very special guest this afternoon is Libby Brockoff, and Libby is the co-founder of Odysseus Arms. I always hesitate when I say that. Odysseus Arms, which is an advertising agency uh, in San Francisco. So welcome to the show, Libby. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me, and I really enjoyed the conversation with Josh. Great. Yeah, it just, um, you know, I think the more we can talk about these, you know, so-called gender issues, uh, the better we're all going to be. And I think it's always important to, to have men and women in these same conversations and, and not just one-sided. So, um, you know, he said, something that he said I thought made so much sense was, you know, businesses really can't empower women without tackling the structures that make it hard for men to be caregivers at home. That's really what he's working to do. And so, you know, if our, if our sons are, and daughters are going to be more uh, modern day and really um, open to, to different roles, we have to do that. So, um, listen, I want to I talk about you and your life um, and, and start out a little bit with your background and give our listeners a sense of where you came from and kind of what led you to where you are today, which is really a, a, quite a successful advertising executive who happens to be working with her husband, which is fantastic. Um, so you grew up you grew up in Georgia, Lawrenceville, uh, Georgia, and we have a, a similarity in both being middle children and, and as you said, I love 70s latchkid kid, you know, where we were kind of wandering around the neighborhood on our own, um, not being watched. But talk about your, your upbringing for a couple of minutes. Absolutely. I mean, my upbringing was pretty straightforward in the sense that, um, you know, I grew up in a safe place, a great environment that was really supportive, and I was able to um, do a, and access a lot of things that I think added to my creativity. I think also the latchkey kid I'm seeing, you know, with my own children, I have a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old, and I really take a lot of time to fight for them to have free time. And I think that's something that I was able to explore a lot as a child. So I put the latchkey kid because I think that it has a really bad connotation, but I think it's actually a really good thing and that I was very excited. I had every single summer available to me, and my only requirement was, because we didn't have cell phones, was I needed to be home by 5 o'clock and my mom got home from work. And what that meant is a lot of creative exploration, a lot of not having an agenda, mm. not being asked to think about things except what what I wanted to think about. So I, I'm really happy that that was made available to me. Yeah, I love how you described it as a magical mystery world. And, you know, I really – I can remember growing up the very same way when you're kind of left – to your own, <laughs> you know, you're left to your own device out there in the world. You do, you know, we just spent so much time imagining and, and pretending, and it was a great way to grow up. Um, and I think it was the total opposite of what we describe today as kind of uh, being raised by the helicopter parents that are constantly hovering over us and, you know, making sure our every move is is a certain way. Um you also talk about being a Girl Scout. Tell me what it was about that that, you know, you thought was a positive experience for you. Well, right now I'm really involved in the Girl Scouts, so I think that that's part of why I mentioned it. And um, on a bigger 
scale, it's taken me a while as a professional to really understand how I can help bring change to the industry, like in the 3% conference, and just by talking to people like you about how women and um, other races are not included in the advertising world. And Girl Scouts, to me, represents a way of empowering young women. I was at a big conference this weekend. It was not a conference. It was actually like a camping event. And I was witness to um, a group of girls that are middle school girls, and they were empowered to run this entire weekend. It was over 200 people. They created everything, all of the crafts, all of what we would eat, how we would do it. And I watched those young women light up, become empowered, think about what else they were going to do to continue their volunteerism. And those kind of things remind me every day about how we need to encourage women, even at a very young age. And that's why Girl Scouts are important to me. Yeah, I would say even, you know, more importantly at a young age, right, if, they're, if they grow up um, with the right messaging from the get-go, um, it can only be, you know, it can only lead to, to more confidence for them. Something that was interesting to me, Libby, you mentioned, um, you know, you grew up, I would say, kind of in an idyllic upbringing, and uh, this is interesting to me. You described it as a Jewish immigrant family and a mist- Midwestern farm family, um, which is kind of, you know, not the norm, but mom and dad, super hardworking, um, supportive of you, and yet there still was a lack of confidence for you growing up. And, you know, we talk about this all the time on the show, the different reasons why as women, as young girls, we struggle with confidence and self-esteem. So tell me what you think the reason for that was in light of, um, you know, the upbringing that you had. I, I totally agree. I wish I had a really good answer for you. All I know is I feel like it's definitely like my one fault. It's something that I try to work on every day. And it's um, I, my husband and I who are running this company, we still notice it in the young employees that we have come and work here. And it's something we're trying to change, we put in an extraordinary amount of effort in trying to mentor young women into advertising here. So um, what we have is a bunch of men who come in and they're honestly like overly confident and we have a bunch of young women come in who are more qualified, who are better employees, who we're able to retain for much longer and their confidence stinks. And my husband and I cannot figure it out, and we're trying to work on it, and I am in the same camp. Um, And uh, it's something, you know, I have a young daughter who's 12 years old, so obviously I want to be a good example um, on that front. But I'm I'm really not sure where it stems from. It must be kind of an environmental, like, uh, community, society influence that does that. Yeah, it's it, you know it's it's fascinating to me, and hopefully, um, you know, we're the tail end perhaps of these stereotypes or or the generation that um, experienced the, I guess the um, the so-called roles that men and women should 
play or be in, and perhaps it will be our kids. And, of course, you're, you're a lot younger than me, but I do see it in my, my own children and, and their peers. And, again, they're in their 20s. Um, they do have a different perspective, which is good. But, we, you know, we have a long way to go. Um, tell me, so, you know, you were actually quite successful at a very young age, and, of course, in spite of it, right? So in spite of this lack of, of self-confidence and something that you still kind of work on every day, um, you were able to, um, to find um, a great deal of success in the advertising field. Tell me, first of all, let me go back for a second. Your, what was your first job out of college? So, once again, I feel like this is pretty boring, but I actually went to school. I studied for this. I went to an amazing program at the University of Delaware. So, um, from day one, I was... I knew what I wanted to do. Now, whether I would make it through the program was another question because it was a very strict program where people could be cut from the program every year up until you were a senior. So we started with 5,000 people, and it was cut down to five people who actually graduated and who are in the industry now. So um, I, you know, um, Sorry, what was the – I lost my thread on that, Susan. What, oh, was, the, what was your question again? Yeah, I wanted – I'm trying to get a sense of what, before you were um, – before you found that success at 27, what was your first job out of college? Right. So um, I, I pretty much followed this course that was given to me um, at college, and I was exposed to a lot of amazing advertising agencies. And um, I got, you know, through my hard work, um, which basically probably relates to my family. I don't think it was based on self-confidence. Like, I definitely didn't go in and, like, demand a job or anything. I think it was the opposite. It's like, let me show you how I can contribute to this great agency. And um, I was fortunate enough to, to get a job straight away, actually, before I graduated college. Okay, and, and who were you working with then? I was working with Deutsch. So do, I'm sure you know Donnie Deutsch. <laughs> <laughs> um, he has a lot of shows now, and, um, yeah, he took over that company from his father. Okay. So really for you, Libby, you <clears> – <throat> excuse me, you're um, – you know, when I ask about people's aspirations, <clears throat> you always had this creative um, – a part of you. Was there ever anything else that you wanted to do if you weren't in the advertising industry? Was there something else that you um, dreamt about doing? Absolutely. I had been a volunteer the entire time I was in high school at my local hospital. I don't know if you remember Candy Stripers. Yes, <laughs> I don't even yes. know if they exist anymore, <laughs> but it's like a program for, for young adults, and I did that the entire time, and I was really drawn to it, and I loved it and I really wanted to go into the medical field. Um, you know, kind of funny enough, I, of course, I consider myself to be a nurse and never thought of myself as being a doctor, and I wish I had had that confidence. Oh. <laughs> um, but I would have been just happy to be in the medical field, and I don't know why I sold myself short and thought I should be a nurse instead of a revolutionary doctor. <laughs> yeah, well, again, it goes back to that, you know, it just wasn't what we were told, you know, Um it's funny. I, haven't I, heard, I agree. Yeah, I haven't heard that term candy striper, but I know I I can visualize it. And and there was I think there was actually a uniform that they wore, wasn't there? A, Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah, there was. But, I mean, it's funny because when I told my parents that, you know, look, if I fail out of all these advertising classes and I get cut, um, you know, I'm sure I can graduate with a nursing degree. I'll, I'll do it. And no one ever said, well, a nursing degree? You should be a doctor. I mean, when I talk to my daughter now who's, who's 12, one of her friends' father is, you know, um, a very successful brain surgeon at UCSF, UCSF. And I always tell her, I'm like, well, that should be your job. You know, I mean, I really, like, push her to the end, to the max of what, you know, she could possibly do. That's right, yeah. Listen, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want you to talk about the uh, little bit of an aha moment that you had when you created Army of Moms. We'll be right back. Sounds great. This is Kristen Hilsley, financial advisor of the Foley Hilsley Group, with a big announcement. Last fall, I hosted a women's lifestyle conference to help the women who do it all take control of their finances. Now I'm excited to announce a new partnership with Women to Watch Media to help show women how to own their financial future. We'll have newsletter articles, blog posts, announcements of live events, and a lot more, all available at womentowatch.net and our own website, FoleyHillsleyGroup.com. I'm thrilled about this new partnership, and I look forward to being your resource for all things financial. Stay tuned to learn more or visit our website at FoleyHillsleyGroup.com. The Foley Hillsley Group is affiliated with Robert W. Baird and Company, member SIPC. Log on to FoleyHillsleyGroup.com to learn more. That's F-O-L-E-Y-H-I-L-L-S-L-E-Y Group.com. Or call 610-238-6636. There are 365 days to schedule a mammogram. Today is as good as any. Holy Redeemer Breast Care makes it easy. We offer the latest technology, like 3D mammography, an automated breast ultrasound that help find cancers in dense breast tissue. Plus, our same-day readings mean same-day peace of mind. Make today the day you schedule a mammogram. It's easy to request an appointment online at holyredeemer.com slash mammogram. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. I'm pleased to announce the opening of the region's newest, most innovative gynecology practice in the Philadelphia area, Montgomery Gynecology. Led by Dr. Hima Janogada in a welcoming boutique-style setting, she and her team are committed to providing the highest standard of cutting-edge care without losing the personal touch that is so very important in today's world. With a particular interest in minimally invasive surgical options, Dr. Hema completed advanced training in robotic surgery and is one of only two surgeons in Montgomery County who performs this highly specialized single-site robotic surgery. 
For more information on the opening of this exciting new practice in the convenient Plymouth Meeting location, go to www.montgomerygyn.com or call 215-444-3411. That's montgomerygyn.com or call 215-444-3411 to make an appointment today. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. Um, my name is Sue Rocco, and I'm joined this afternoon by Libby Brockoff. She's the co-founder of Odysseus Arms, which is an ad agency based in San Francisco. And I'll, I will say a small agency, but with some big-name clients, um, which I want to talk about uh, in just a few minutes. Um, Libby, you did, um, you had kind of an aha moment, which I love those moments. And, and, you know, we can have more than one in our lifetime. Um, but you, you realized that you could go back and kind of pick up where you left off, uh, before leaving the workforce. And, uh, you, you really are a strong advocate for women and, and wanting to help women, um, really, you know, find some purpose and meaning in their life alongside of their families. And you created something called Army of Moms. Um, tell us what that's about. Well, my husband and I, who's my my partner at work, um, realized while we were at school pickups that there were all these amazing people standing around us. We started to ask the different moms, you know, what they used to do, and we were shocked. And we, we realized that we're very lucky that within the zip code that we live, that um, a lot of really smart people live there. And then I started to talk to them more, and I realized how frustrated a lot of them were because um, their partners obviously have really big jobs, these kind of jobs that support us and allow us to live in, in an amazing zip code like Marin County in California. And I realized how frustrated they were because they desperately wanted to work, to contribute, to use their brains, but our normal work day doesn't fit in with school pickup schedules. Um, and so my husband and I just kind of had this, this idea, well, we could use them at our business and we don't need them to be there from seven in the morning till seven at night. We realized that we had a lot of projects that we could really use their brains on and that we could offer a more flexible schedule. So we started to hire all of these really cool, interesting moms that we met, and we call them the Army of Moms. And so what we find is they like to work from 10 in the morning until 2, so that's in between school drop-offs. And then after they put kids to bed, their brain's still going. They still enjoy working. They enjoy solving a problem. And they'll come back online, and depending on the enthusiasm or energy that they have, we'll work another four or five hours and happily do it. Mm. Um, And so we just realized that we could create that flexibility for moms. That's awesome. How many many women do you have working for you in that role? There's six of them right now. Okay. Well, I would say, you know, that it's so true about the flexibility um, of schedules, and there's no need for people to physically be in a space anymore, you know, from 9 to 5. Um, I think that's one of the really wonderful positive aspects of, um, you know, uh, Internet. And um, are you finding that because they have this flexibility, what they are, um, the projects and the work that they're doing for you are, are really inspirational? 
Absolutely. And the freshness and the spontaneity and the knowledge that they bring to these projects is so much better than having an employee. I always call this like fake employee Stan and Stan just sits in the back of the office and he's not inspired because he's worked with us for too long or whatever works on an account that he doesn't like. And so that's what the Army of Moms do is they get us excited about what we are doing every day and they're solving all these new problems. I mean, they work on different, I also think this really helps, but they work on specific projects. So these are not employees who have a full-time job who are dedicated to just a certain task every day. They're um, these kind of Navy SEALs that come in and tackle specific things and they're usually high-level uh, projects that we need great thinking on. Mm. I love that. I love that um, that description, uh, you know, the Navy SEAL, <laughs> the Navy SEAL in, in advertising. Um, here, this is a quote, something that I read um, that you said, and I wanted you to kind of explain what it means. Advertising can deepen the emotional tie people have with code in the modern media landscape. Tell me what that means. Well, I think that, you know, you mean specifically like code for for different um different types of advertising things that we're able to create with code? I, I guess it was it was this one line, and I know that one of the, you know, of course the goal always in advertising is to uh, connect with, with people on an emotional level. And I guess I took that to be, you know, how, how do you do that in kind of this modern media landscape where everything is digital? Right. I mean, I think that, you know, the, the main thing that we do here that is so different is we actually work with the real consumers. And a lot of ad agencies say that they do it, and they do it a lot on the after the work has actually been created. So we spend a lot of time up front listening to people and really understanding what their needs might be for something that we're going to create and make. And, um, you know, we're in an industry where we used to talk at people. We used to tell you exactly what you were going to believe about the product that we're creating. Mm -hmm. And now consumers are part of that conversation with us. And so we really thought, like, why not have this conversation up front and make them part of the ideation, part of the process? And we do it a lot with women. I mean, 80% of people that are buying things are or a major factor in the purchasing decision are women, right? Yeah, and so right. we spend a lot of time talking to women about the different things we're working on. Why do you think that still today, and, and I, you know, I only learned this recently about the, the very, very small percent of women that are in executive positions in advertising. I never would have thought that. Um, and again, is it just a historical thing that, that hasn't, turned around yet? In other words, why are all of these agencies male at the top? Well, I mean, I think it's the same as diversity, Sue. Like, you know, we have an obligation. I'm working with um, a lot of clients and other um, influencers that at other agencies to try and change this. We're not giving people, um, women and um and people of color opportunities within this industry. And I think there's like 
zero racial diversity within our industry. I mean, 3% for women's bad enough, um, but it's something that is up to us to change. I mean, we need to make this available for people. Obviously, people don't have access. Women aren't getting the access that they need to be able to be part of the advertising world, and we need to change that. And do you think it's also the, you know, a little bit about what Josh was talking about at the top of the show, the um, the opportunities to have more flexibility? Because at the end of the day, look, we all have families, and that will never change. And whether it is the man or the woman who, you know, is taking most of the responsibility, someone has, has to do it. Um, it typically has been women's role to do that. So if we can provide more of this uh, flexibility and kind of schedule people's working hours, um, allowing for the family to be the priority, then you have um, more opportunity for women to take on these roles, but also the just kind of what you were talking about, the excitement and the enthusiasm they will have for the work that they're doing. Absolutely. Um, we have just seen people so grateful to be able to um, feel nourished mentally by solving problems and being involved and being able to, you know, use a lot of their education that they spent so much time on. And I think that, you know, we need to basically allow more access to these type of jobs. You know, one of the things, um, Libby, that you have said is that, you know, uh, and this is was, was advice for your younger self, which I always love to hear, and uh, you would tell yourself to embrace being a woman and your femininity. Um, don't try to hide that. So when women are, we talk a lot about, you know, having more women go into STEM, for example, and if you're in an industry where you are the minority as a woman, it's important to not try to be, work, speak like a man. Tell me, tell me a little bit about your thoughts on that and, and why you think that's important. Well, you know, when I first joined this industry, it was a boys club. I mean, and, you know, I had to dress differently to feel that my ideas would be valued and seen as creative because I felt like if I kind of looked like a woman and looked differently, I thought that, you know, I wouldn't have as much success. And so I, I changed my appearance for the first job that I got. I mean, Deutsch was notorious for being a boys club and I knew that and so I didn't want to stand out and I wish I would have I think I could have done a lot more good but I I didn't have anybody to talk to about that I didn't have anybody kind of you know blazing that trail so um, I ended up just trying to kind of fit in so that I could progress further in, in doing you know something that I love Mm. Isn't that, a, it's so ironic, isn't it? Because we, we really, the goal should really be to stand out, right? You don't, you shouldn't be trying to blend in with everyone else. And it's, it's something we talk to our young girls about. Um, and yet we were doing that. And it's really, you know, it's really hard to do, right? You're negotiating. I mean, 
you know, think about when I got um, a job, it was at the beginning of the Iraq war and there, there was a recession. I mean, this was not a time to stand out, right? Or so I thought in my brain, um, you know, I was thankful to get a job and it's a really scary time when you're exiting college and entering the workforce. So um, I think it's, it's very tricky in that sense as well. Mm. T- talk to me a little bit about your your I don't want to say philosophy or how <clears throat> excuse me how you go about um, you know you're negotiating all the time for for jobs and it's such a competitive industry you know you're one agency of thousands right um, clearly you're doing something right because um, you've been nominated for several awards when you just as you know um for for women who are going into really important meetings and wanting to land a client or a project how do you kind of psych yourself up and is there something that you um do on a regular basis that gives you the confidence and uh you know allows you to to get the outcome you're looking for I mean, I, you know, probably like everybody else in their field, you know, I picked up a a lot of really great tips along the way. And I remember when I was working on the Snapple account, um, when Snapple was new and fresh and doing really well in this country, and I was on a conference call with the director who had made a lot of um, these films, and his name's Stephen Kessler. And he's also made, like, one of the Caddyshack films. He's great. And he explained to me that how important it was every phone call that he's on, how much he prepared for that, no matter what it was. And he explained to me the great lengths and detail that he went to in writing out all of the answers to his questions and everything. And if you met this person, he seemed like the most laid back, the most confident the person who would have to prepare the least. And that really had a big effect on me because I realized that that preparation was everything and that, you know, you you don't have to – there's nobody who's naturally smart. Um, I didn't miss the boat on anything. And that actually by putting in effort and work that I, I could be successful. And so I took that very seriously and – you know, there's other little lessons you learn along the way, but that's one that really comes to mind. Mm, I, I love that, you know, that awareness that, you know, the rest of the world is not smarter than you. It's just that they're preparing, right? They're they're doing their homework. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was like a big eye-opener, and I still, um, I still do that every single day. I don't care how junior the person is or – how much maybe we think, okay, this might not be the right kind of client for us. Every time I walk into a room, get on a phone call, or meet with somebody, I've done a bit of research, and I know who I'm talking to, and I I never get ahead of myself. Yeah. One of the things I love that you do, you know, as a leader and with your team is uh, you spend time with the people that you work with. So there's this um, not this hierarchical structure with your company. Um, there's more of a we're all in this together. Can you can you give me um, an example of a time when perhaps somebody uh, that works for you really kind of came through on a project or did something unexpected that was probably because they feel that you know that they're excited to work for you and with you. 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like it happens on a daily basis here, but one project that I think um, that really happened with was an internal Facebook project that we did for Facebook um, for Mark and Cheryl, and it was really about um, engaging their staff in a global causes event. And so what was really hard about that was that Facebook has access to so many people who want to go there and speak and events, you know, they're able to really treat their employees very well. And so they sort of said to us, that's kind of the problem. Like, how do we make this amazing day and our vision for our employees um, being able to kind of give back and following um, their passions for what they want to donate their time for? How do we make that stand out in this world where we kind of give them so much? And um, we had one of our employees here who I think really connected with the employees at Facebook. And once again, we used our third eye process of actually going and just hanging out with people that worked there and spending a lot of time just trying to have empathy for what it's like to work there. And, um, you know, she wrote these amazing films. I mean, the, the film um, was showed in front of all of Facebook globally. And um, she wrote and edited and made this film for Mark. So, you know, I think that's an example of just letting people, um, you know, do the work behind it and be able to connect with who they're talking to. Right. And, ha and have the faith in them that they're going to do it, right? Absolutely, and supporting them. I mean, when I say, oh, she wrote it and edited it, that's with a ton of support with, from Franklin and I, right? I mean, we, we sat with her. We made that, that work happen. It was a great initial idea, but um, this specific employee hadn't even really joined the creative department yet. She was somebody who wanted to be in the creative department. Um, and we, we sort of mentored her into that. I mean, that's another big thing. I'm a really big fan of performance reviews. I mean, through this review process, we figured out that this person didn't want to be a traffic person. She wanted to be a creative, wanted to be in the creative department. She just didn't know it. And through talking to her and saying, what do you want, what's going to make you happy every day? We were able to kind of help her with that transition, which I know that probably sounds easy, but Creative jobs are coveted. You go to specific schools for them like I did, and there's usually a general path, and to kind of break in outside of that is extremely difficult. Right. Um, tell me, what, um, what is the thing you, you like the least in your, you know, what's the greatest challenge? You know, advertising has so many moving parts. You know, it's certainly not a repetitive task that you're doing every day. Is there, you know, one part of the job that you do that you just, you know, it's it's your least favorite. You you struggle with it. Um, you know, I, I don't know how much I struggle with it, but I think it's a lot of work. Is you know, the people that we tend to hire are really creative people, so I think they're inherently just a lot harder to manage, and so. Um, you know, maybe I'm more sensitive to it or maybe I pay too much attention to it, but, you know, it's really important to me to kind of keep everybody's creative juices flowing, their productivity, and keeping people happy. And that's really, really difficult um, when you're talking about these um, 
creative people who are constantly thinking, you know, to be an artist, you're naturally not content with something, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of perfectionists, (laughs) right? Yes. Exactly. So to try and keep those people happy is really hard. (laughs) I love it and I hate it. It's the hardest dang thing ever. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I have one of those. (laughs) I have one of those creative spirits. Um, And yeah, I think they, they can be emotional, perhaps. (laughs) they're emotional they're restless they're you know it's it's everything combined into one right and hard on themselves really hard on themselves i I because you know as someone who's not creative from from one standpoint i'm so incredibly impressed on a regular basis with the creatives and that's whether you know it's it's design or photography or or you know coming up with concepts all of that um, I'm so incredibly impressed, and rarely do I see the pride from those people in their work. I wish, you know, there was more of that. Absolutely. I mean, we never stop making. You never give up on a project. The minute you're finished, you're thinking about how to make it better. Um, thank God for deadlines because we wouldn't we wouldn't know where to stop. Oh right, right. You just keep go- you're tweaking and tweaking and tweaking, and maybe it can be better. Yeah, we in- we invented iteration before all the tech guys started using <laughs> that word. Listen, we we just have a couple of minutes left. I you know I I'd love for you to just give a little bit of advice, Libby. You're you're really and and I'm gonna you know dote on you now and tell you you should be proud and you're you've been extremely successful. And at the same time, you're you're running this company. You're trying to give back and help other women. Um, if you could leave them with one bit of advice, other than you know really to try to find that confidence, is there something that a woman who's kind of on the verge of taking a leap of faith something actionable she can do that will help her? Well, one of the things I've really noticed in speaking with a bunch of um, young people, I'm constantly meeting with people, and one of the things that I don't think young people realize is how much other people will help you. And so I am always shocked when I meet people who haven't done internships, who don't have mentors, So what I would say to a young person is go out there and ask as many people as you can. Try and meet as many people as you can. I mean, the worst thing that's going to happen to you is that someone's not going to reply or someone's going to say no, but I think that you'll find the opposite. Um, I put in a ton of effort to help young women, and I really want to build the next kind of force of female influence in this industry. And... I just um, I just see a bunch of people who aren't reaching out to to the network, to the tribe around you, to the community, and asking for help. So mm. I would just encourage you to try and get get 30 meetings. Like, don't get one meeting. Get 30 meetings and listen to different perspectives. And I think you'll I think you'll really appreciate it. Yeah, that's great advice. I think people hesitate on that because it somehow they view it as um, showing you know a sign of weakness. If it's so important to say, I don't know something. Ask for that help and not worry about a perception of you for doing that. It's a smart thing to do. 
I agree. Yeah. Libby, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. I, I greatly appreciate your time. I know you're busy, and uh, I hope you'll stay in touch. And if someone's listening and wants to be in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Um, my company's name is Odysseus Arms. Odysseus is the main character in the Odyssey, so if you need to look up the spelling. So Odysseus Arms on Facebook, and reach out to me there, and I'm happy to get back to you. Terrific. Thanks, Libby. Have a great rest of the day. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch. Again, um, please check out our website for all things related to the show at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net. Have a great week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.